Good morning, church family. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. We celebrate today Easter. It's not a made-up story. It's reality. Christ is truly risen. And even in the midst of difficulty, it brings us great hope. Today, 
I want to look at a few passages with you from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 8 through the end of the chapter. So if you wouldn't mind turning there, and as you turn to Hebrews chapter 2, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we come to you as the God of all hope. Lord, we need hope, for we are people who grieve. We grieve because we live in a world of pain. We grieve because we know friends and extended family members, perhaps who have died or will die from this virus. Lord, we grieve for Kim as she has lost her mother. Father, we are also people who fear. We fear what will happen to our jobs, what perhaps could happen to a loved one or to ourselves. We fear sickness. We fear uncertainties. Yet God, remind us afresh that you are the God of all hope. The resurrection tells us that. You are sovereign. You are in control. Nothing catches you off guard. You are for your people, no matter what they are presently experiencing. And Father, we thank you for the hope of the resurrection. We know that we will resurrect one day because Christ has resurrected. Lord, we would pray for our leaders. We pray for our president. We pray for the task force. Father, we pray for our governors, we pray for our mayors, we, 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 we pray for all the leadership that you will grant them health and wisdom as they lead us at this time. Father, we pray for the first responders, we pray for the ambulance workers, we, we pray for the, the, the doctors as they care for the people and the nurses as they care for the people. Lord, we, we, we pray for people who are driving trucks and keeping the food line going. And all of those things, Father, we pray for each one of them. That you will grant them strength and safety and, and health in this time. And Father, we pray for ourselves. We pray that this will be a time in which you draw us to yourself. For anyone who might be with us today who has never trusted Christ as Savior, may this be the day as they face their mortality, their frailty, their weakness. May this be the day that they bow their knee to Jesus Christ and trust in Him. So Father, do your good work in our hearts through your Spirit, we pray, as we read and as we talk about your precious Word the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his name I pray, amen. So I noticed yesterday, looking at some of the stats that you find on the internet, that it says well over 108,000 people have died in the world because of this virus. I noticed that in America alone, over 20,000 people have died nationally. It doesn't surprise me then that the language that we use at this time is often the language of war. You've heard that many times from our leaders. We've got to fight and destroy this enemy. And I, I totally get that. 
I thought it was interesting thinking about war and death. That this is a topic that the people of God has spoken about for over 2,000 years. It strikes me as interesting. I came across something that uh, actually my daughter had sent me from C.S. Lewis. Words that he shared in the midst of World War II concerning the issue of war and death. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. He asks the question, what does war do to death? He says, it certainly does not make it more frequent. 100% of us will die at some point, and the percentage cannot be increased. Of course, what war does do, it puts several of those deaths earlier. Yet, war does something else to death. It forces us to remember death. The only reason why cancer at 60 or paralysis at 75 do not bother us is that we tend to forget them. War makes death real to us. And that would have been regarded as one of its blessings by most of the great Christians of the past. They thought it good for us to be always aware of our mortality. And Lewis ends by saying, I am inclined to think that they were right. With those words, I agree. In our lives, at a time like this, we become keenly aware of our frailty, our weakness, our, our fears, our need for deliverance and help for one outside of ourselves. Do you see? Folks, we can't sanitize death, although people try. We can't ignore it, although people try. We can't ultimately quarantine ourselves from it, because death will be the lot of each one of us. So if that's the case, where is our hope in the midst of death? To this, the Bible speaks very powerfully. So come to me, come with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 8 through the end of the chapter. In the scriptures, not only here in the book of Hebrews, but all through the scriptures, you find this repeated theme where the Bible gives us the storyline. And what it tells us repeatedly again and again is that the world has gone awry. And it, it takes us back to a story that begins in Genesis 3, where Satan, the one who hates humanity and hates God because he hates God, tempts mankind to sin. And when mankind sins, Immediately, we can use the word death. Immediately, there is spiritual death. There is distance, separation between God and people. And, and one day, because of the sins of the world, because we're all sinners separated from God, one day, there will be physical death. And for those that don't know Christ as Savior, that will usher in what we call eternal death, 
and separation from God. And the Bible's very clear that this is the, the Bible storyline. It doesn't start with death. It starts with life. It starts with creation. It starts with all kinds of hope and possibilities. But the world goes awry because mankind has rebelled against God. What happens in Hebrews chapter 2? The writer of Hebrews has just shared an interesting text from Psalm 8. Where again, you have God's intention for humanity. God has, he, his point from the beginning was mankind, men and women, humankind would enjoy his world. And they would rule over it as his representatives in the world. But listen to what the text says in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 8. That was God's intention. The middle part of verse 8, the Bible says this. Yet, at the present time, we do not see everything subject to them. In other words, God had a purpose in creation that we would enjoy his good world in obedience to him and there would be nothing but life and hope. But that has not been experienced by us. We don't see that. How will we ever get to that? What do we see? We don't see that, but verse 9, but we do see Jesus. Folks, this story that is repeated throughout the New Testament is repeated in a very clear way in Hebrews chapter 2. What happens in verses 8 and 9 you get kind of the, the big picture of how will you go from God, God's good creation, which, which now is marked by a world filled with sin and, and, and a world that's been cursed, where, where the world, Paul will use the expression that the world groans. It's in turmoil. It's experiencing birth pangs and great pain. And so why do we see natural disasters? Why do we see tsunamis? Why, why do we have pandemics? Because we live in a world that's awry. And this text says, our hope is not in what we can do. We will not turn it around. In the midst of all that, if we're ever going to realize God's intentions from creation, the only hope comes in Jesus. So the writer of Hebrews says, we see Jesus. And he gives this kind of general statement of what that entails. We see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while. That, that means he came into our world as the God-man. He became a man, which, which boggles your mind when you try to even understand that. Now crowned with glory and honor. Jesus now has resurrected from the grave. He's been exalted on high. He's the king of kings and lord of lords who is coming back one day. And in between his incarnation and his resurrection and, and exaltation, look at what the text says. Because he suffered death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Folks, when the Bible says Christ tasted death, 
Don't think that he was nibbling around the edges. No. He took the cup of God's wrath, all of the rebellion of all the people of all the ages, and, and all of the consequences of their sin. Jesus was willing to take that cup. And when it says taste, he drank it to the full. He suffered death in a way that you and I will never suffer death. Because he felt the consequences and the spiritual separation and, 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 and all the hell of all the people of all, hum, of all humanity of all time. Uh, only God could do that, folks. And the writer of Hebrews says, if we're ever going to move from here to a new heaven and a new earth, the only hope is by seeing Jesus, who has come, who has lived a sinless life, who has died, resurrected, been exalted, and is coming back one day to make all of that a reality. So the writer of Hebrews just kind of gives you a summary statement so you don't miss it. And then what he does in verses 10 to 18, he kind of digs in. He says, okay, this is the big picture. Now, let me go back and just talk through those different elements with you again. What he says here in verse 10 is that this mission that Christ was on when he came and died and resurrected and was exalted was the mission of God the Father. Look at what he says in verse 10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. The writer says this, God the Father looked down at a world that had rebelled against him, that was experiencing the consequences of that rebellion, living in a world that was out of kilter. And God designed the fact that the one who would save them would have to enter into their experience and know what it means to be human. And know what it means to see sickness. And know what it means to see death. And then to enter into that death. And when, it, when the Bible says to, to make Jesus perfect, it doesn't mean he was imperfect and became perfect. It means he would be complete. For him to do what God has called him to do. He must complete this work. And the way to do it was to enter into our pain. And then to experience pain at a deeper level than any of us would ever experience. Because he loved us. And he wants to bring us to himself. This was the plan of God the Father. It was also what Jesus Christ, the Son, was willing to do. We find this as you read then in verses 11 and following. And again, in verses 11 to 13, we're going to read about the incarnation. And, and again, we're just going to run through this system. So listen to what he says here in verse 11. 
both the one who makes people holy, that would be Jesus, okay? And, and that doesn't mean that Doug Finkbeiner is perfect and sinless. He makes me holy because I'm united to him. I, all my sins are forgiven, and I stand righteous before God, okay? So, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy, so both Christ and those that trust him are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. And then he, he quotes here, uh, both from Psalm 22 and again from Isaiah chapter 8. And in both passages, he looks at these passages where you have these predictions that are, that are ultimately pointing to Jesus. In which the Messiah King, the ultimate prophet, says, I want to be part of their experience. I want to be their brother. I want us to be family. And so to do that, I am willing to write myself into their story. And become one of them. To become fully human. And I'm not ashamed to say, that's my human brother. That's my human sister. They know me. And I'm connected to them. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? The God of the universe would choose to become one of us. Now look, humans are far better than anything else in creation. I get that. But God would choose to become a man and not to be ashamed of it, but to embrace it. Folks, people say a lot of things about God, but you can never say he doesn't love us. For he has become one of us. God the Son has become one of us. What an incredible story. Goes on, on to talk in verses 14 to 16. Not only of the incarnation, but of Christ's redemption. Look at what he says in verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood. I mean, that's us. We're human. That's where we are. He too shared in their humanity. So that by his death. He might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus has come and he has died. His death counted, and the reason we know that is because he resurrected. And this text says, in dying for us, he did two things in his redemption. The first thing he did is he destroyed the power of the devil. Folks, I want you to think about this. I said it at the beginning. Remember, there's spiritual separation between us and God. We're sinners. There's physical death that awaits all humanity. And then there's eternal death for all those that don't trust in Jesus Christ. And Satan is behind that entire plan. He loves people to be dead, to be dead. 
He loves people to be afraid of death. He loves people to die, be, be out of relationship with God and ultimately go into a Christless eternity. The devil loves that because he hates us and he hates God. And this text tells us that that trajectory is broken because when Christ died, in dying, death died. And he broke the power of death so that now we who are separated from God can have a relationship with God. And yes, we will die physically as Christians. We will all die unless Jesus comes back before. But if he doesn't, we will all die. But, but death for a Christian is merely entrance. It's transfer right into the presence of God. We won't We won't die eternally. We will be with him, and one day in the future, Christ will resurrect our human body to our souls for all of us who pass away. See, that's that's the truth. And and what happens is the devil holds their grip of this because he says, if I can continue to have have people rebel against God, then, then they're on this trajectory, this death trajectory, And Jesus comes in and he breaks this so that everything else can change. You know, it's interesting. My wife and I, a couple weeks ago, we watched um, a movie on on, on Harriet Tubman. And and I I didn't know her story real well. And I, I, I was really delighted to watch the story. One of the things I found to be really interesting reading about some of those issues related to slavery, is, is, is how um, after all the slaves were emancipated, freed, they, they, they could still be fearful of their previous masters, but they didn't have to be anymore because they were free. They, they didn't have to listen. They couldn't be punished by. They could go and do as they pleased. They were no longer under that regime. But it was hard for them to break out of that sometimes. In the same way, Satan has enslaved us to control us, to help us live for ourselves and for him. And Jesus Christ has emancipated us and freed us so we don't have to live that way anymore. We don't have to be under his control. We're now Christ's, and that changes everything. (coughs) I also found a very interesting quote from Martin Luther. This took place in 1527. A friend, Johann Hess, had written to him because a major plague was sweeping through Germany. And Luther wrote a little pamphlet that was entitled, Whether One May Flee from a Deadly Plague. Specifically thinking about how should pastors handle this with people who are dying all around them. In it, he speaks very directly to the devil. And I'll just give you an excerpt. In it, he says, Get away, you devil, with all your terrors. No you will not have the last word. If you can terrorize, Christ can strengthen me. If you can kill, 
Christ can give life. If you have poison in your fangs, Christ has a far greater medicine. You see, that's what Christ has done. He has come to destroy that trajectory of the enemy of our soul who wants to destroy humanity. And secondly, he has come to deliver us. Where the text says, he wants to free us, those who all their lives have been held in slavery by their fear of death. Folks, you know what strikes me as interesting? Jesus did not live this life and go to the cross in some robotic way. It wasn't like, ah, this doesn't really bother me. I'll just get through it and whatever. He felt pain to the full. There's a really interesting passage over in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 to 10. I just want to read it. When we talk about Jesus delivering us, it was not easy for him. Listen to what the text says. Hebrews 5 verse 7 During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. You know what that tells me? In in, in the wonder of the God-man, Jesus knowing what would await him, brought his concern back to God repeatedly. We also know this in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he came before the Father and he said, Father, and he knew God's plan, but as a human, he dreaded what was to come. And he said, Father, let my death be successful. Now he knew it would, but, but in his heart, he was still praying that. I have to go through this. I'm willing to go through this. It'll be hard. And the Bible tells us there that his prayer was answered. Because three days later, Jesus came out of the grave as the exalted Lord. And now he's the king of kings and lord of lords. After the order, as the text says, after the order of Melchizedek. Folks. Death concerns all of us. And perhaps more acutely now than normal. And I would say, it's not a bad thing that we're thinking about our frailty and our mortality. And I want you to know that if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're no longer spiritually dead. You no longer have to worry about eternal death. And even physical death is not the end, but the beginning of what God is going to do. At our house, we've got um, carpenter bees. And so I've done a little bit of reading up on carpenter bees because I want to try to get rid of them. And I found out that male carpenter bees can't sting you. Um, so what I do is, cause I'm not always sure which one are male and female. So there are some challenges there, but, but anyway, uh, I go out with a tennis racket and, and they tend to kind of buzz all around you. Like they're trying to scare you. And now when they do that, I try to whack them with my tennis racket. I, it, it's a sight to behold for my neighbors. My neighbors have commented on it, 
But here's the point. Death can buzz all around us and, and seek to scare us and unnerve us. But ultimately, it cannot sting us. For we are forgiven if you know Christ as Lord and Savior. We are in relationship with God. We are secure. May I read to you again that familiar text from 1 Corinthians 15. Just two small sections. But listen to the wonder of what Christ has come done. He has both destroyed the power of death and Satan. And he wants to deliver us, the one who has become one of us, who has suffered on the cross in a way that we can't even imagine. He wants to deliver each one of us from a death-like experience. <clears throat> Excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20, the Bible says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in its turn. Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who, be, who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, all authority, and all power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And folks, listen to verse 28. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. At some point in the future, there will no longer be any physical death. For King Jesus has come, and because of what he's done on the cross, he will one day ultimately destroy even physical death. And the, song, and the chapter ends by saying this. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Folks, hear this. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has come. Jesus Christ has suffered. Jesus Christ has resurrected and is the king and is coming back one day to make everything right. One more short text at the end of Hebrews 2. This Jesus, who has come and died and resurrected, is now at the right hand of the Father. Look at what he's doing. Look at verses um, 17 and 18. Listen to what the text says. For this reason, he had to be made like them. Jesus had to be one of us. Why? Fully human in every way. In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. 
And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Don't you love that? If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do you fear? Do you worry? Do you wonder? Do you doubt? We all do. And we can take all of that to the throne, to the one who says, I know. I understand, Jesus says, at a much deeper level than you can ever comprehend. Bring your fear to me, Christian. Bring your uncertainty. Bring your doubt. Bring your questions. Bring your pain. Bring your sorrow. And know, as your faithful high priest, that I will represent you to the Father that I will grant you my grace, as he says in chapter 4. I will grant you my grace in the midst of all your questions and doubts. For I am the living Lord who is coming back. And I am before the Father. Your sins, because you've trusted in me, are forever taken care of. You will, you will never have to worry about them. They're forever gone. And now that you know me and all of your pain and sorrow that you experience as you look around at loved ones and you worry about jobs and, and all the things we worry about, folks, I get it. We all do. You need to know that we have a high priest, Jesus Christ, the one who is resurrected, who is for us, who is with us, who truly empathizes with us. Somebody has told me that you can sympathize with people even if you haven't had their experience. But you can only empathize with people who, who, people who have had difficulty when you have gone through the same difficulty. We serve a Lord who empathizes with us. For he has suffered with us he has suffered for our sin in a way that we'll never understand. And so when we bring our cares and concerns to him, he hears, he understands, and he ministers to us. So what does this passage tell us? Jesus alone, the death conqueror, became one of us so that he might Deliver us from death and empathize with us throughout our lives. I grieve that we live in a world where many people have never accepted that message. And if you're, you're hearing this today, would you come to Christ? You can't win. You can't find approval with him on your own. You're under the domain of Satan. You're, you'll lose. But you can come to one who can take you from that regime to a glorious regime in relationship with him. He can forgive you of all your sins 
and set you on a new path. Where you're in relationship with him, you're secure for all eternity. And when the Bible now speaks about physical death, the way it normally frames it for Christians is going to sleep. You go to sleep and you wake up in his presence. So we don't say to Christians, goodbye. We merely say, good night, for we will see you in the morning. See, that's the wonder. And if you don't know Christ, please come to him on this Easter day when we celebrate his victory over death by his resurrection. Christian, if you've trusted him as your Lord and Savior, You don't have to worry about spiritual death. You're in a relationship with him. You don't have to worry about eternal death. You're secure in him. But you say, Doug, it's getting from here to there. I worry. I'm troubled. I'm scared. The resurrected Lord is at the right hand of the Father. And he is there to represent you before the Father And you are accepted because you are united to Christ. And as you bring your cares to him, he will meet them. He will minister his peace and presence to you. Just keep bringing that back to the one who truly empathizes. And that will make all the difference in the world. In the midst of death, there is the promise of life. Let's pray. And to pray, I want to kind of close with the benediction that the writer of Hebrews gives in chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. So let us pray. Now, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep. May he equip you with every good thing to do his will. May he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you on this wonderful resurrection day.